2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul, an apostle of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us the spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Imagine for a moment that you are not sitting on your couch or on your chair, but that you are in the Middle East. You have become a Christian a few years ago. It's the greatest treasure and the greatest joy that you know. It's changed your life, knowing that you're now right with God, that you've been forgiven, that you're loved by God. But it's also difficult. Many around you hate the gospel, hate Jesus, and it's not safe to be a Christian. You are pushed to the side, you're marginalized, you're, you're even persecuted. And what is worse, the the pastor who told you about Jesus, he has been arrested. You love the man. He's like, he's like a father to you. Closer, really, than your own father who has disowned you and th threatened you. And, and over time, you became involved in the work of the church, which you love. You so need the encouragement of your fellow brothers and sisters. And it's so, so good it's also difficult as there are struggles. There's often discussions about unimportant stuff. And there's a few people there who seem to have strange ideas on, on how you really get saved, what's important to believe about Jesus. And now what do you do? You, you're there and, and you feel stuck and, and you don't know. What do you do? And, and one day a letter arrives and you read it and really the first thing that comes to you is the bad news. You realize your beloved pastor father, he faces the death penalty and he's about to die and, and it's, it's going to be only a short while. How will you ever do without him? He's your support. He's been your encouragement for all those difficult years. But, but what do you do? But then you read the letter again. And you see how full it is of encouragement and full of instruction. And that the man has really poured his heart out in, in showing you how to live for Jesus, how to follow him. He's really given you his final words of instruction. He tells you what will happen and he tells you what is most important. Focus and persevere. Focus on the gospel, on the truth about Jesus. Keep your eyes on him who is Lord. Don't let yourself be distracted by these arguments and, and these false teachings. Focus on what is most important. And persevere. Persevere even though you will suffer. Persevere despite opposition from, from those 
do give, bring disturbance in your church. Persevere despite persecution and threats from outside. Follow the example of your pastor, father, your friend. But more than that, follow the example of Jesus himself. And I guess you recognize that this is quite how Timothy could have felt. And it's in a nutshell what this letter is all about. It, we read the opening verses of Paul's second letter to Timothy. And it's a very personal letter. It's very urgent. But you might think, what, well, what does this have to do with me? It's such a personal letter. It might, might maybe feel a bit like opening that letter that drops on through your letterbox and that says strictly confidential with a, a name you don't know and, and you open it anyway. Or remember that time as a kid when you stumbled upon a few letters from your parents in their relation and you couldn't stop resisting and reading them. Is it like this? Is it reading a very personal letter that we actually shouldn't have, have had? No, it's not. This is for us too. And we find a, a tiny hint at the very end of the letter. The last verse, Paul prays that grace be with you. And the you there is, is you all, it's plural. He apparently anticipated and even intended that more people than just Timothy would read this, would be encouraged by it. And as we read in the first verse, he says, Paul, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul knew he was, he was writing with divine authority. These were the words of God. He was appointed by Jesus himself to bring the gospel, the good news, to all these nations. And now he writes this letter as a, as a commission, as a, as a testament to his successor. And he knows that it is God's words and, and this powerful instruction. Later in the letter, he writes, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so this letter is part of those words of God, those inspired words of God that we have in our Bibles to read now, 2,000 years later. And so as we will, God willing, in the coming weeks, study this letter, I pray that this will be true for us, that we will be taught by it, be trained in righteousness by it, that we will also be rebuked and corrected by it when needed. And that it will encourage us. And, and as Paul wrote to Timothy in verse 2, that it will bring us grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And so tonight we are going to look at the opening verses, the first seven verses of the letter. And here we find one of the first, the first of many imperatives, commands, instructions that Paul gives to Timothy. And we want to think about what this means, how we can apply it to our own lives. And we find this really in verse 6. And I want to use that as the theme for the message tonight. Fan into flame the gift of God. And let's look at several aspects of it. Firstly, about the occasion. What, what may Paul write this command? Secondly, the purpose. Why did he write it? Thirdly, what does it actually mean? And fourthly, how, how actually do we do this? How do we fan into flame the gift of God? 
So firstly, let us think for a moment about the occasion. Because verse 6 starts, for this reason. Well, what reason? Let's, let's think about the occasion for this letter. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul here is the apostle, a messenger of Jesus himself, who had traveled through the then known world to declare the good news, to declare that there is a way of salvation for all who believe in Jesus. And he hadn't chosen to do this himself, but he was appointed by God as a herald and an apostle and a teacher, he says in verse 11. And here in verse 1, it is by the will of God that he is an apostle. And on one of those occasions, he had one of those journeys, he had met this man, Timothy. In Acts chapter 16, we can read about that. Paul was in this town called Lystra, and there he met a young man. And they became very close friends, and so much so that Timothy really was like a spiritual son to Paul. Timothy had accompanied Paul on many of his journeys, and he joined Paul in writing a couple of the other letters that we find in our Bibles. And so this second letter of Paul to Timothy, it really is the last letter by Paul that we have in our Bibles. If we read it through, we can learn that Paul is in prison. And he knows that his end is near. He knows that his time has come to depart, he says. He will be executed soon. And so we have in this letter what you could call a spiritual testament of Paul to his successor, his companion in the ministry. A letter full of encouragements and, and instructions and exhortations for Timothy to pick up the baton as Paul had to let it go now. And as in most of his letters, Paul starts out with a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Let's read again verse 3 to 5. I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. And notice that theme of remembering, recalling, reminding. Paul and Timothy, they, they go back a long way, as it were. Their bond was very close, and, and Paul brings this to Timothy's memory to give him encouragement, to show him what he has received already, what he can build upon. But Paul also longs to see him once more. He hopes that Timothy is able to come to him in time, bring him a few personal items and, and have that time together. But here he has for sure this letter. And in verse 3, we see that Paul writes that he serves God as his ancestors did. Paul saw that his service to God didn't come out of nowhere. It wasn't rather founded on a very solid basis. His faith and his service, it rested on a tradition, a long tradition that we really found in the first bit of our Bibles, the first part, the Old Testament, where God called a nation to be his people and that he worked with them, that he redeemed them and that he gave them many pointers to that Savior that would come, the Messiah, Jesus. And here, Paul, he had his 
background as a study, uh, as one studying the Old Testament. He had studied it very zealously. And he had then been taught by Jesus himself how it had all pointed forward to Jesus, to the Savior. And in a similar way, Paul reminds Timothy of his spiritual ancestry. Timothy had learned it through his Jewish grandmother and mother. Apparently, Timothy's father, his Greek father, wasn't a believer. But, but Paul himself had really become like a father to Timothy. And so he says now, Timothy, my dear son. And we can take encouragement from this. We are not following some cleverly devised myth or a new fad. We are following Jesus, a Christianity that is founded upon facts in history. A good news that is not just coming out of nowhere, but it is rooted in actual things that happened and it is testified to by many, many generations of mothers and fathers, both biological or spiritual. And this prayer of thanksgiving then forms the basis for the appeal that follows to Timothy in verse 6. For this reason, I remind you. But before we, before we go there, I briefly want to look first at the purpose. Why actually was it necessary that Paul wrote this reminder? And that's our second thought then, the purpose. And looking first at this purpose will help us to understand better how this command fits in the letter as a whole. And as you um, are maybe very familiar here at Emmanuel, we have the custom of preaching through books of the Bible. And because these are so rich and they contain so much truth, you can't really pick up the whole book in one go and have a sermon about it. And so we have sections and multiple sections. But inevitably, these sections influence each other. And we need to see the bigger picture sometimes to really draw it out. And so here as well, I, although we, we focus in on verse 6 and 7, I want to briefly look at verse 8 and, and really what follows in the entire letter. We will go into it much more later on. But here we see, in verse 8, why Paul had given this command. Look at it. It begins again with an important word, so, therefore, consequently, because of this, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And Paul here opens up two big themes that we find throughout the letter. The one is unashamedly testifying about the Lord. And the second is joining in suffering for the gospel. There's no need for shame because it is the truth. But it needs to be kept pure and guarded against distortions and distractions. Because there is opposition. We learn about that in the letter too. And so, for now, the important thing to see is that it takes focus and perseverance and courage. If Timothy is to pick up Paul's ministry, follow on, continue bringing the good news to many more people, continue building up the churches to bring them to maturity in Christ. He needs to know this and he needs to know that there is a need for focus and perseverance, that there will be opposition and persecution. He can't just 
coast along and, and drift with the stream as, as a boat without an anchor. No, he needs to rekindle. He needs to fan into flame that gift that he had received, that gift that he already has, the gift of God. Are you sometimes ashamed to testify about our Lord? Maybe if you speak to your family members or, or your friends or your neighbors or your colleagues or your classmates in school, are you, are you ashamed or do you often hide it? Are you ready to join in suffering for the gospel? These are big questions. And to be honest, many a time I'm, I'm quite reluctant to testify, to speak up, especially when, when I know that it will likely bring suffering. Perhaps loss of friendships, losing face, or losing income. Whatever way it works here in this country at the moment, we might not face direct physical persecution yet. But for many of our brothers and sisters around the world, that certainly is the case. And so, how we need then to study this word, study this command, this instruction of Paul, to see how we, begin, how we can be equipped to do that. How we can stand and be ready. So fan into flame that gift of God. Because that gift is, we, we don't stand empty-handed or empty-hearted. But what does it mean? What is this gift? And that's our third thought. We've seen the occasion and, and the purpose, but now let's, let's go deeper into these verses. What, what is this? What actually do we do? Let's look at verse 6 and 7 again. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For, we get an explanation here, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And I have to say here that that word timidity here in the text is a a difficult word to translate. Perhaps some of you are are looking at a different English translation, the ESV or the King James Version, and there it is translated as fear. This is a, a word that is quite tricky to translate from the original. But this is really what it means. It is it's pointing to fear, fearfulness, cowardice. I think more than to a character trait as, as if it was about shyness or timidity. The contrast is here. God did not give us a spirit of fear, of being a need to be cowardly, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Fan into flame the gift of God, Paul writes. And he writes here about gifts for ministry, spiritual gifts, gifts from the Holy Spirit, empowerment for certain tasks. And Timothy had received this, we read, through the laying on of my hands. Paul had written something similar in his first letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 14, he had written, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And just to be sure, this, this laying on of hands is not some, some magical way to call down the Holy Spirit upon us. We cannot manipulate God in that way. We read in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, you can read that later on, about Simon the magician in Samaria. He had wanted to do that. He saw the apostles laying on hands and 
He saw them being equipped for ministry and serving God, and he wanted to do that, and he wanted to offer money even to get that kind of uh, gift of, of, of laying on hands. But that's not the case. Rather, laying on of hands is, is to point to, and it's to confirm God's work in someone, as someone is, is appointed to a task. And the elders then, with the church, they pray for that person. They ask God to fill him with what is needed to fulfill that task, with spiritual gifts, with power and love and self-discipline, with courage to face the suffering and not to be ashamed in testifying about our Lord, to defend the truth and, and the gospel. But you might think now, okay, that's all good and well for Timothy, but I'm not the successor of an apostle. What do I do here? What does this mean for me? And, and some of you are or, or may be set apart as elders or pastors or missionaries, and, and you will receive perhaps a laying on of hands. But for many, it, that won't be the case. But then, still, don't skip over this text. Don't think, oh, this doesn't apply to me. Because God does not just give spiritual gifts to people that are set apart for a specific task. But he gives gifts to all Christians. And we read about that in several other passages in the New Testament. And I think it would be good to turn to one of them. If you can turn to Romans chapter 12, keep a finger in to Timothy. But turn to Romans chapter 12 and read a few verses there. Romans 12 Verse 4 to 8. That's another letter of Paul to a church in Rome. And he writes about different gifts in this way. Romans 12 from verse 4 on. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. That's the church. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. Note that grace. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So there's different gifts all given by God in his grace to bless the church. Peter writes very similarly in his first letter, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And note again that link between gifts and grace. And so these gifts might not always be accompanied by a laying on of hands, but they are just as real and just as useful and just as essential for the flourishing of the gospel and the building up of the church. And this is how God wants to bless his people, wants to bless the church. And moreover, all of us, and, and perhaps with varying responsibilities or in different ways, but still all of us, we face the situation that we read about in verse 8, just before, we will face 
that temptation to be ashamed for the gospel and, and the need to have courage to speak up. And we will face suffering in some way. Later on in, in this letter, Paul writes very strikingly in chapter 3, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so how, how badly do we need that power and love and self-discipline then, that gift of God, the courage to, to continue our Christian walk? Because, to be honest, faithfulness there would be a very natural response. The prospect of persecution is frightening. But we need not fear. And we should not. Because God did not give us a spirit of fear. But of power, love and self-discipline. And yet it's so easy to fall into fear. Fear of uncertainty. Fear of pain. Persecution. Or the fear of man. What will, what will others think of me? A fear that silences our testimony our witness about Christ. And then the Lord Jesus himself said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And, and to be clear, that isn't about Satan. That speaks about God who is just and righteous and he will judge sinners with his wrath. But at the same time, we see this truth in this letter to Timothy. Three times in, in chapter 4, he speaks of Christ who will, as Lord of the universe, be the righteous judge. Sixteen times in this letter, Jesus is called Lord. He is King. He rules. He is risen. As we sang in our first hymn, the risen King. And in chapter 4, then we read how he will reward those who fight the good fight, who finish the race, who have kept the faith, but all who are not united to Christ through faith. He will repay for what they have done, we read there. And so my question to you is, do you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you right with God? Do you realize that we all will stand before Jesus one day. And he will be the Lord who is the true judge. And he will, he will be righteous and he will be just. And so I ask you, don't ignore or reject Christ. But accept, as verse 1 says it here, accept the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. That life there, that's eternal life. It's freely available if you would but take it. Because that's what grace means. It's free. And that's what mercy means. Not receiving the punishment that I deserve. But instead, peace with God. That's verse 2 again. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It is available and it is preached by Paul, by Timothy and now still throughout the world. And then to all who do believe in Christ, God will certainly give the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who supplies those spiritual gifts that, that we need so much. We all, like Timothy, need that spirit of power 
to face what lies ahead, to stand firm on the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. A power that comes from God. Just look at the end of verse 8. Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Jesus had said this before he went up to heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But we also need that spirit of love. Love for Christ. Love for the church. And even love for our enemies. As Jesus commanded us in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And, and we also need that spirit of self-discipline or self-control to fight the temptations to sin and to respond with love and patience and gentleness. At the end of chapter 2, Paul instructs Timothy, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. A spirit not of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And so therefore that charge that came to Timothy so long ago, it comes to you and me too. Fan into flame the gift of God. And although we realize that that must come from God. It must be done by God as well. Paul focuses here. He emphasizes our responsibility. Fan into flame that gift of God. It's as if he, uh, as what he writes to the Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. It's, it's always those two things. And yet here he focuses, fan into flame the gift of God. And so what, what gifts have you received? Have you recognized them? Do you use them? Have you prayed about this? Lord, give me courage for Christ. Help me to see how I can serve you, serve the church. Where is your desire? Your interest for service? Well, test those desires. Talk to your brothers and sisters about it. Uh, perhaps you could volunteer to use them to see whether the church recognizes your gifts. And if that's the case, if you do know what your gifts are, are you making the best use of them? Are you training them? Are you fanning them into flame? Doing your very best? Or are they sort of dormant and hidden as that talent that was put in the ground by the man in the parable? But then finally, how do we do that? How do we fan into flame the gift of God. And I want to give two pointers here. Firstly, we do this by focusing on God's grace. We've noted that link before, gifts and grace. Grace which comes to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Later on in chapter 2, verse 1, if you look down at that verse, you can see how, it's, how Paul there speaks, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. It's really keep being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. A grace that according to verse 9 here is given to us in Christ Jesus even before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed to us through the appearing of our Savior, 
Christ Jesus. Do we see how it, how it all centers on Christ? How it centers on Jesus? As we think about God's grace, we think about Christ. And so let's fan into flame our gifts by thinking and meditating about this gospel of grace. Focusing our minds and our hearts on Jesus. Pray for open eyes to see what's really there in Scripture. For, for a deeper dependence on God, whatever we face. Because a, a bigger view of God's grace in Christ will stir our hearts. It will, will fan them into flame to praise and to service. Think of those well-known verses in Ephesians chapter 2. It's not of our own works that we are saved, but it is for good works that we might glorify God. Not because of what we do, but by grace. So we focus on God's grace to us in Christ. And, and secondly, how, how do we fan into flame the gift of God? Well, in a very similar way that we, we train in another skill or trade, really, by practice, spending time on it. Over the summer break, I've, I've spent some time getting better at chess. I learned this uh, when I was a young kid in, pri- kid in primary school. And you could call it, I received the gift there. And I badly needed to fan it into flame to get any, yeah, to play any decent game. And so that took practice. So over the summer, I, I took an interest in this. And I, I watched a few videos and I played some games and studied some opening moves. And it has improved a bit, but it takes time and it takes effort. And you need to put your mind to it. Well, very similarly, Paul wrote to Timothy like this in the first letter. He, he, he thinks, he points to Timothy's way of life and his tasks for ministry, and he says, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Again and again, all these commands, work at it, study it, persevere, go on, continue. And so, ask God that he will help you do that, that he will see where your gifts are, that you will use them to bless your brothers and sisters here in the church and really all over the world. And so, what a glorious calling we have to follow Christ, to serve him to pick up the baton of those who have gone before us. And let's do that then with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Fan into flame the gift of God.